Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ballplayer Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Kopp. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 85th episode of the podcast, where we get a chance to talk to Coach Steve Rassel. Coach Rassel is the strength conditioning coordinator for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's hired on that position in 2019. Been with the club before serving at Weber International University. He was their head strength conditioning coach since 2009 to 2019. Last three years there, he was the associate AD as well, taking on more leadership responsibilities at the university. Uh, at the beginning of that career at Weber, he was working with every team. By In those 10 years that he was there, transformed them, had over 80 coaches under his tutelage. He had had growing the program where he had two full-time coaches, he had interns, he had grad assistants inside of his program at Weber. In 2016 and 2018, he was the nas- finalist for the National Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association Strength Coach of the Year. And prior to his days at Weber, he was also helped with the Cubbies in doing their Daytona Cubs organ- uh, team and their strength and conditioning coach in 2009. So, But... Um, had a great conversation with Coach Rassel, and it was a, a pleasure, real true pleasure to get a guy. Um, right away, he talks about kind of his holistic approach, even just from a standpoint of using his platform to straight up teach better men. Uh, the, the person, the holistic time of being a, a person, and how important that is it, at his level, at the highest level of Toronto and the Blue Jays and the professional organization, and how that helps and affects all things beyond just the talent and the talent they're trying to develop and the skills they're trying to develop. And uh, so that comes out right away to get into um, their collaboration within all the different coaches and all the different staffs and how they're all there. Um, This talks about different types of programming and the differences in the off-season and in-season, how there needs to be a gradual release and a gradual progression into one to the other. As we, like he puts it, always working on development, but at the same time looking at performance. So um, getting into a really cool thing called micro-dosing as we talk about in, uh, in the, in the in-season workouts, which I thought was really neat. I think it's a very obtainable thing. Um, but he said there's a balance there with, with how you would do that with younger kids and how the younger body is. Uh, it's big into movements and assessing certain type of movements and, assess- and assessments in your programs to then, one, just first and foremost, get to know the player, who the player is. So you can see that's very important for him. And then as they continue to assess, and that assessment then grows and they can see their progress. So really great stuff uh, from Coach Russell. Um, he does talk about not only strength but instability and being elite in both of them. So much of it is just strength. So phenomenal stuff. Loved his conversation. We dove into a ton of stuff and loved where it went. It was a lot of fun. I'm very educational. Runs a great program. And he's doing with the top of the top, the elite, the 5%, the 2% of the world. So it's pretty awesome stuff. Coach Russell, thanks so much. And really can't thank those guys at Netting Pros as well. Will Minor and the guys at Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting 
for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball cards. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will. Contact the guys at Netting Pros at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all the latest products and projects. So thanks to those guys for so much and being part of the Netting Pros family. And let's not waste any more time. Let's get down to it. Here he is, the strength and conditioning coach coordinator for the Toronto Blue Jays. Steve Russell. He had more of a focus on a lot of the external pieces and he oversaw some teams. And then I had a lot of the focus on the internal pieces, oversaw some teams. So, um, yeah, it was a good mix. It was a good combo piece. So it was less of like a traditional, you know, performance coach or strength conditioning coach role at that point. I just had it completely delegated out and I was more of a, like a senior consultant of sorts on the SNC side. And I was just there to help out and be a resource to the whole staff. Okay. So if by the end, did you like, did, did you have a strength coach for every sport or was it like a strength coach for like the fall, winter, spring or. Yeah. So our structure there at Weber at the very end was we had a head strength and conditioning coach. We had two full-time assistants and then we had, I believe we had four grad assistants and four paid interns. So we had kind of a, a model where it kind of tiered its way down. Um, out, of the, out of the internship model, um, we ended up kind of fizzling that out and focusing more on the grad assistance as the time uh, ended there. And we just wanted the continuity of multiple years instead of you know, the rollover of each year or every, sometimes every semester. Uh, but yeah, there definitely was a big lifeline to a lot of the younger staff and new staff and a lot of turnover, but a lot of developmental focus there with the staff there. It was that, I guess, what I, I guess. Um, so I'm just trying to understand did you, when you say uh, your head strength, like, so was that one per sport or was that? So that was for the whole school. That was okay. for the entire school. So for the whole the school, but then school. you still oversaw all of that where you were still helping here. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I played, I played minimal role on that the last couple of years I was there. Yeah. I tried to really remove myself. I didn't have any team I was in charge of on the SNC side and just really let the staff expand and, and start to transition without, you know, without me more as the, at the helm. Um, a lot of the stuff was pretty deep rooted with what we had kind of built there and structured there with from the hiring to the staff mentorship and development programs. But a lot of the, the you know, the, the training and strength and conditioning X's and O's and programming and stuff like that started to get a little bit different flavor and different, different flow to it. Yeah. So you kind of, you kind of went more towards like the teaching of the coaches side, more like Mm -hmm. professional development almost. Yeah, pretty much. So as I was going into that athletic director type world, I was really exploring a lot of um, the staff development, staff mentorship holistically with the entire athletic department, you know, with 60 employees, and, you know, I was running the grad assistant program really university wide there with the entire athletic department um, and, you know, helping out a ton with some of our other initiatives, you know, teaching the like freshman development program with a lot of our, our freshman um, student athletes, a um, bunch of different, 
little pieces like that. Wow, that's super cool. I mean, like, how did uh, like how did that prepare you for like with the Blue Jays? Because I mean, that's pretty serious. Yeah, it was pretty diverse. It, it got yeah, it really it, was. It got way outside of my strength and conditioning world and way outside of my normal comfort zone. But I don't know. I, I got into strength and conditioning with a passion for for training and a passion to help people through training. Just and then what I realized over time through that decade I was there at Weber was. What I really, really loved about it was being around people, developing people in general. And I just, I loved strength and conditioning as a means and a method to do that. And, uh, but I, but I didn't feel limited just to stick with that. I felt like I, I, I could involve that in any way, shape or form. And I used really athletics as my main vein. And, uh, and I, I had a guy I worked with when I was with the Cubs before Weber who was the head major league coach, uh, head major league strength and conditioning coach with the, with the Blue Jays, Scott Weberg. And, uh, and they reached out to me towards the back half of 2018, and they had a, an opening in their, in their organization for minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. And, uh, and they, wanted a, they wanted somebody that could help uh, develop a staff and could come in and hit the ground running and understand the programming and all that. So uh, pro baseball had changed quite a bit in the 10 years I was gone. Yeah. Uh, in the early years when I was with the Red Sox, there was the, the major league guy, the minor league coordinator, triple A guy, and that was it for strength and conditioning throughout the whole org. Wow. So quite a difference with every every level having a strength coach, a dedicated strength coach. So, um, yeah, hit it off with them really well and really loved the opportunity there and been, been here for three years now. How do you find your passion, like you said, of helping people through training do you find that still to ring pretty true where you're at now yeah definitely um you know it's a different world when you're now you're not in the you know the small college right you know nonprofit. most of those kids are not going to play their sport for a career pretty much all of them and you're kind of preparing them for life after sports and using sports to to kind of teach them leadership and and you know, everything that sports is good for just, uh, just on, you know, there's so many lessons, humility and pride battles and leadership lessons and teammate and, and even strategic thinking and, you know, so many qualities out of playing sports in general. And, uh, you know, really in, in pro baseball, it's a little bit less about preparing you for life after the sport because life is supposed to be the sport. That's supposed to be the job. Yeah. And so it's a little bit different angle, but you are still developing people. You still, you know, our, our organization especially puts a, a really important spin on culture and a, and a high priority on culture. And, you know, if you follow the Blue Jays and who they sign as free agents and who they trade for, um, they, they go through a pretty intricate process and they pay really close attention to the person that they're getting, not just the talent that they're getting. And that's a organizational wide philosophy that that drip that drips all the way down to our 16 year old international kids that we sign and have in our international academy in, in the dr to the kids we draft to all the way through how we develop um, some of our players here it's it's just with a little bit different angle where it's not about the rest of their life it's about making them the best at, at their job as a blue jay employee basically and that's about being the best person you can be first and foremost, which then is going to lead you to be the best yeah. at your job. Yeah, being a good teammate um, and really standing for the right values. 
and you know, work ethic and, and many pieces that go into that as well. And, uh, you know, and obviously that's not to overshadow developing talent and developing right. them in our world, developing, developing them mentally, physically, um, to be able to make it to the major league. You know, our, our organizational mission is to, to bring world championships back to Canada and not, and, and on my side, on the, the minor league front, my, my connection to that is really developing the talent that we have in the minor leagues to get them up to the major league level to help us, uh, to help us win or to turn guys into really valuable targets to help get people here that can help us uh, win national champion, win, win uh, sorry, win world series. Yeah. Um, and that's it's a fun it's a fun piece you know you do develop the relationships with the players and you they know that you have their best interests at heart it's not that you don't really lose anything with that different focus in college it's preparing them for life and in this focus with the blue jays it's not any less valuable you're actually deeply tied to their well-being their their source of income their family's well-being, like this is everything to do with their job and how well they perform is providing for their family. And for a lot of these international kids, what little they make in the minor leagues, they're sending it back home and they're supporting their parents. And mm. some of them have kids that, that are that are away from them pretty constantly in another country, you know. So it's it's not any less rewarding or intrinsic intrinsically motivated by any means. It's just different. It's slightly different um, venue, if that makes sense. Yeah, that was awesome, man. I, I, it's, I think that's extremely valuable insight just because that's what you hear, you know, like it's just the, the pro ball, you know, it's big league, you know, and, and you, mm -hmm. it's good to hear that human side of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's personalities. There's 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 differences there that you're dealing with. You're dealing with million dollar signing bonus babies and you, you're dealing with sometimes uh, people that take a little bit longer to uh, mature in some ways. And then you, you're dealing with some people that just get it from the get-go and they're difference maker the, the moment they walk in the building and everything in between. And, mm. uh, and just like in college, when you have all different personalities and all different challenges in, in mentoring and developing people, uh, there's just as many types of challenges in pro sports. It's just slightly different with a different backdrop or a different lens that you approach it with. Wow. Nice. Oh man, that's, so is this something that, I mean, are, are, I guess in your position, uh, are you teaching other coaches uh, this kind of, you know, holistic approach as well? Is this something that, you know, you, when you're bringing people on, this is what you're looking for them to also be part of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, having a, having a passion to coach, having a passion to help people improve, uh, to serve, to lead, to impact. I mean, all these are just primal pieces that we're looking at in bringing in. Um, a desire, a hunger to grow and develop. Um, and then, you know, some of the skilled pieces, there is a definitely a skill and, and a science and an art to a lot of the stuff that, that, that we do in my world in strength and conditioning. Um, there's programming, there's, there's getting, you know, building relationships even has a, a flow to it where there's a, an art and a science to it. Um, and there's a lot of pieces that we know that with younger staff, we have to teach and, and upskill and, and develop their abilities as well, you know, even understanding and diagnosing movement patterns and solving movement problems. That's a big part of, of what we do in, in pro sports, especially because you're going very, very specialized and very deep in one sport with a lot of resources about one sport and one type of, of movement pattern per, uh, per se with, with some of these guys. 
and uh, and so there's a lot to do with that as well um, in in making mm. sure that there's an aptitude for that through our hiring process. But I would say to your point though, it's a big deal for us to hire for for the right culture and the right fit for what we want to push for in, in developing these guys. Ooh, yeah, for sure. Man, buddy, we just hit the ground running there. Um, that's super cool. Uh, speaking of that programming and stuff, man, like, um, is it, are you very, like, do you try to individualize as much as you can? Or is there, is there still team team concepts that you're trying to do? Or, you know, typically in the professional baseball, is it all really just individualized? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like any, like any program, I think your goal is to try to target as specific of a, of a dose of, of training or prescription as specific as possible to what that player needs uh, in any lane, high school, college, pro. And, and just like in, in, in other worlds at the, at the younger levels, you can be more general with that and address a lot of their specific, like their individual needs by being general strength and just getting guys stronger movement quality, getting them moving better developing a, a, a high quality work capacity and foundation to just do work in general and be in good shape. Those are all just basic pieces that a lot of young players need, high school kids need, young freshmen need in college. Sometimes players who have a very low training age but are more advanced in their biological age sometimes need the same basic pieces. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you do get more advanced with some guys who have the basics checked off and you're working towards individualizing every piece you can from their prep routine to their lifting, their conditioning, their throwing program, their arm care routines, their recovery mm. pieces. I mean, you try to go as really as deep as you can go. Yeah. So you said, you said arm care. So like, will you even get to the throwing programs too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's the, that's the cool thing about the, the organization with the Blue Jays. There's a lot of collaboration and, like cross pollination and, and really crossing into other lanes um, in the in the sport in the in the sport coaching world in our in our terms, the the player development staff, the hitting yeah. coaches, the pitching coaches, the defensive um, you know different defensive lanes, whether it's catching infield, outfield, and even splitting it from there, corner infield, middle infield. You know, there's all different lanes of movement patterns and and focuses. I mean, we have you know I don't know how many employees, but I'm sure. Uh, over a hundred employees in our in our organization, all centered on one sport, all centered on one piece. There, right? A multitude of uh, of different nuances within that, but it's all one sport. And so you get to dive really, really deep. And a big part of the Blue Jays' mission is collaboration and working back and forth. It's not really a big deal for us to have a pitching coach. Uh, alongside of us as we're breaking down movement patterns and for us to be alongside them in a bullpen session looking at biomechanics of a pitching delivery or breaking down stuff from a, from a pitching lab uh, recording and really looking at that stuff together. And, you know, our, our pitching coordinator actually over the past month has collaborated with us quite a bit on just picking our brain on um, just stress and stress recovery cycles and dosing high, medium, low in their throwing program and just really getting a nice periodized approach to off-season throwing program for, for the pitching department, which is, uh, which is really cool. You know, you, you, you have all these resources and all these people in this organization. And, I mean, I, I, could, I, could, spend, I could spend years not even looking outside for continuing education and just yeah. picking people's brain in, internally. It's, it's, it's pretty wild.
I just love, I mean, because I was like, just my brain kind of works. Just, just being able to have you there where if a guy, let's say, you know, it doesn't stay into his hips as long, mm-hmm. you know, and then you go and then you have that conversation. Well, I, you know, was that something that, hey, we'll put this into his like stretching or like, how would you know whether put like, hey, this might be part of like his movement pattern, like to stretch or warm up or we need to make this like a med ball routine or maybe part of a strength strength routine. How would you know like the difference? Yeah, we have different assessments that we do. Um, we have different pieces that we try to build like a like a like a like a physical profile on yeah. these guys and what their body's capable of doing and how that body moves in action and you know efficiencies and we look at different things. You know, in that example, we may look at a joint by joint approach and see how the, how how you know the surrounding musculature is is um, really how 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 it profiles. Um, from a strength standpoint, from a mobility, like the joints from a mobility standpoint, um, you know, just, just kind of really see how, what, what weak areas they have, what movements can they get into, but maybe they just can't at that time. And that's a different, that's a different area to address. Um, is it a motor control thing? Is it a new motor pattern type thing? Is it a physical quality that they, they just can't do? Can they not physically have the range of motion to get in those positions. So you're just beating your head against the wall, trying to force them to get there. Um, there's so many different ways to go about it. And we just, we have our own processes that we try to go through. That's just like a flow chart. Mm-hmm. If this, try that. If this, try that. Or sometimes it's not that spelled out. Sometimes it's just more, here's the profile. And it's up to us being really the artists in this, in this field to dot connect and see, and, and, and see, okay, this, this, this is really poor and this is also really poor. And there's somehow there's a connection there, even though those are two different, completely different lanes. Where does that, where does that come into play? How do those impact each other? That's really one of my most exciting parts of, of the job is really looking at like movement in general as a, as a problem to solve and just trying to figure out more about like learning them, learning the movement and trying to know that I don't know everything also and consulting with people. And it's, it's very much way outside of just a strength and conditioning thing. This mm-hmm. is our entire, our entire approach. The the player development staff, the analytics team, um, medical, S and C, nutrition, um, mental performance, sports science. I mean, there's a there's an entire world of people trying to solve that problem that you mentioned of getting a guy into his lower half. Mm-hmm. God, that's cool. <clears throat> that's super cool. So like, have you been in the conversations of like, you know, let's say a guy's just like really tired. He's got to get shut down, you know, like, like almost, almost where you see like, Hey, I know he can make this pattern. Oh, he's maybe he's just tired. Like, are you even in that conversation? Yeah, definitely. So we have really like two major, two major like objectives or, or pieces we're driving towards in season for on, on a, like our high performance team. And one of those is really, like maximizing that individualized player development and just really getting them to develop in the ways that are going to get them promoted to the next level or make them big leaguers. We're always after that developmental approach, but that has to be balanced with always making sure they can perform and compete Mm. at an elite level day in and day out. You know, these guys get sometimes a couple of days off a month uh, and they're playing for six, seven, eight months straight. And that's obviously a very difficult thing to balance where you're pushing and, and, stressing them to develop but you can't let that be a stress that puts them in harm's way on the performance side Um, and and also you want them to perform well a lot of these guys you're not 
you're not out there trying to develop them at the expense of competing. Uh, competing and trying to win is a, is, a, is a given all the way up and down our system. It's not that we would sacrifice a strategy to compete at our rookie level because those guys need more physical development. Um, we're still doing both. And so we have, uh, you know, just back to your question, we have things in place where we try to monitor fatigue as well and their responses to, to training and responses to playing. And, you know, that's a whole different world besides just the assessments and how guys move and developing them physically. Now you're talking about, you know, athlete readiness and workload response and all types of, of cool, cool things there too, which is, which is fun. You said like, um, assessment a, a good bit so i'm just thinking about assessment especially with you like you know you're and you're in the minor leagues you have such of fluidity of the lineups and things like that is that something that you just like everybody gets it right when they come in the organization so like as you move you already have a a movement profile or whatever you get somebody new do they get a movement profile yeah that's a great question because that's that's one of the mass like massive limiting factors is continuity up and down a minor league farm right system. Because you get guys, and you think about it, you've got time. Yeah, you've got you've got like your initial signing team, like initial signing group when these kids are 16 years old down internationally, and you have a, a Dominican summer league team, sometimes two teams down there, and then you have a, a complex team which is like your rookie level. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there's a development group there that doesn't make the team, and so there's almost like two teams there, and you have low A, high A, double A, triple A, and there used to be multiple short season levels also, but last year, Major League Baseball, you know, they collapsed a lot of those teams and, and those are now more indie, indie uh, leagues. But yeah, so like continuity up and down a system when a player moves, if it's an aggressive organization, a player could move two, three levels over the course of a six, seven month season. You could start in single A and finish in triple A. You could start in rookie and finish in double A. You know, there's, there's a lot of quick moving pieces for some organizations that really like to move, move people up their system quickly and having continuity is crucial. You know, being able to speak the same language is a major piece in having that continuity. That's a, that's a must have is aligning your language up and down your organization to where people in one affiliate group and one team can, can have the same continuity of language here, even though the uniqueness is, everybody's a different artist everybody approaches their work a little bit differently but we're all driving towards the same goal and we can all talk the same language but you may think about how to approach that problem completely different than i do and you may design a slightly different program for that and we have enough of a skeleton and a structure there where we have we have our principles we have our guiding kind of core pieces there where we all kind of have those as our foundation and then Kind of the nuances are what tweaks what adjustments you make to that framework um but yeah i mean as as players move up and down from an assessment standpoint from a fatigue standpoint it's important to have continuity of information sharing and are you familiar with uh team of teams approach or uh the team of teams book in general no i'm not so uh, i believe it's uh general stanley mccrystal um but you have to fact check me on that one um but it his, his model is based off of what he did with the uh, United States Special Forces um, Joint Command, where he, he had to merge, and, and I may be butchering this, but he had to merge all different branches of Special Forces and have an effective team. And, you know, traditional leadership and traditional team models, he couldn't get 
them, like he, the, the command structure there, they had to wait for permission for the people in the high ups before they could act on the ground. And by the time they got permission of things to act, they were in massive, like in harm's way. They were missing opportunities. They, it was causing lots of chaos and problems, and they couldn't keep up with the terrorists they were fighting who had their own intricate network of communication. And so the book is about a lot of uh, you know interesting pieces there. But one of the premises of the book is a lot of these same pieces, is how to set up an organization to function as a very complete and successful team on the ground with the people you have there and have another team that's doing the same and another team that's doing the same and be able to have those teams still stay connected towards the vision and the drive of what you're doing. So pretty, pretty cool uh, parallels and similarities there. Yeah, sure. Who, who did you say uh, was the author of that? Uh, I, I, let me let me teams. let me look real quick. Uh, team of teams. Model. I thought it was General Stanley McChrystal, but let me. Yeah. Team of teams. That's super cool. Yes, General Stanley Stanley McChrystal. Nice. Love it. Love it, man. Awesome. Um, so the um, knowing what you know now, because you know a lot of guys, a lot of guys, uh, you know, they got listen and things like that are from high school coaches and youth coaches or college coaches, and you've lived that college life, um, and you know you lived that kind of mid major one too, you know, smaller mm -hmm. college. Um, knowing what you know now, and and with the let's even let's say the assessment, is that something that you feel like? can be done at the lowest level that can be done it with the smallest budget. Is that something that, uh, do you feel is, is it, would you implement it? Some kind yeah. of assessment? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. You know, anytime you, anytime you look at those pieces, I'm not a big believer in people just copying and pasting what they see. You know, if it's the, the, the big professional organizations or the massive colleges or the, 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 the powerhouse high schools, whatever that pinnacle program is in your eyes, I'm not a big fan of just copy and paste because everybody's environment's different. Everyone's resources are different. Your limitations, your hurdles. You know, when I, when I started at, at Weber, I was, a, I was you know, I, it was me and a, and a couple of undergrad interns that were really just teaming up to get this thing going with 500 student athletes. And you're in a different world of resources and, and capabilities there and what you can do. But assessments were still important, but mm -hmm. we couldn't do what we wanted to do. We could only do what, what our system would allow us to do. And I, I recommend to coaches all, all over the place, have your ideal system of what you would want to accomplish and then find out how you can start to move towards creating that system and being creative. You may have to shortcut that. You may want to do a full SFMA, physical therapist driven range of motion gauntlet. You may want to know everything across the body, but you may have to settle for a couple of pass fail assessments that can, you can do in 60 seconds. Um, you may have to be creative and do stuff as a team. And you, you may, you may be able to partner with other, other schools, other people, other organizations to get some, some voluntary help on some pieces. But what I, what I tell people is like, try to stick to your purpose behind it. You have to make sure it's valuable enough to, to spend your time and energy and resources into doing it. It has to impact what you do. Um, the caveat there is if you're doing something just to pilot or learn, 
maybe there's not an immediate impact, but there's a delayed impact. So I, I can definitely understand that if you're exploring and you want to try something out and you don't know if you're going to have an immediate return on that investment for really diving through a lot of assessments. You know, you want to invest in the FMS uh, functional movement screen and do that with all your athletes. And you don't know if, if it's really valuable or not, but you need to do it to actually be able to answer that question. So I mm -hmm. get that. But those pieces aside, as you're exploring what your system is, before that, you have to try to look at, okay, what am I trying to solve? What am I trying to do with that? And, and honestly, a lot of our assessment-driven approach is so that we can better understand these athletes. Um, it's kind of like if you're doing an interview for somebody for a job and you don't ask questions and you're not trying to figure out who they are and you're not trying to, to, to almost mentally profile how they fit with you or your organization or the values, that's how insane it is to have programs without really truly trying to find out more about the athlete and profiling them. You can call that an assessment. You can call that being a coach that watches them squat on the floor and takes note of how good that is and what they see and where the deficiencies are. That's an assessment. You may not classify that as a full like assessment piece, but us as strength and conditioning coaches are pretty prideful sometimes with our terminology and how we, what words we say and use. I mean, honestly, it's as simple as just paying attention to details and learning and, and compiling information of what you see with that athlete. It could be formal, it could be informal, but it is important, it is helpful to have it systematic. It is definitely helpful because then you can you can get more widespread with how you do it. But I love talking shop with with uh, with coaches that don't have any resources, especially where I'm at now in my journey where I have seemingly unlimited resources. Mm -hmm. But for the majority of my professional career so far, I've got minimal to no resources. Even in my background in my garage gym right now, from my first year, uh, first first crew of, of paid interns that I finally got approved for three years in at Weber, one of them helped to develop a mock design of TRX straps using seatbelt straps. And I still nice. have a pair of them here. You know, what is it, 10, 12 years later, uh, I still have a pair of them because that that we had to be creative. We went to a junkyard and cut out seatbelt straps and went to a seamstress and got it all uh, mocked up and, and industrially sewn. And it, we had every rack retrofitted with a TRX suspension trainer, TRX, you know, I don't want to get in trouble for saying that. Right. But a suspension trainer. And, uh, and we did it for, you know, less than, what was it? Less than 50 bucks probably for an entire weight room. You there know, you and go. so you get crafty, you get creative. And I, I will always hold those years near and dear to my heart. And I will always remember those times where we had to just be limited, but you still drove towards a mission. You knew it was something you felt like would be impactful and valuable, and you kept driving towards it. Mm -hmm. Nah, that that's that's worth it, there, man. There's a lot of guys that get fired up about that. You know, that's a that's the high school, low budget. You know, mm -hmm. you know, small time college. That's exact. We're all doing that. You know, like so. I'm sure that that'll fire some guys up for sure. That was really good. I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stealing seatbelts out of junk card. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, so do you think like would you what would your uh you know, like you said, you'd like talking shop about that, and I think that that could be pretty valuable here. Um <clears throat> if you're gonna run an assessment, you said like assessment tells us more about the athlete. Mm-hmm. Do you need to also so basically and when you can you dive a little more on I guess I guess in that I guess because I'm thinking does that tell you like when a person like where they need to train more like what you would need to program them more for yeah. um 
Is that is that what is that what you're saying that, or is, are you saying that in terms of when they might get hurt, or is it kind of both? Yeah, yeah. I guess you could take it a lot of different directions. Right. Um, you know, my approach is is not my system per se. It's it's definitely the the Blue Jays system that's been crafted and molded by some great people before I came into into the Blue Jays organization. Um, from well, the the people that are that are still here, Scott Weberg and Jeremy Track, and before that, Donovan Santos. Um, spent a ton of time really driving and pushing and, and many more people that, that I didn't get a chance to meet. Um, you know, we do, we truly do stand on the shoulders of giants in, in any, in any, any role that we're in. And so like, for me, this is the assessments are part of an existing system. But what I would suggest to coaches is when you're trying to develop people, you want to be able to like identify what it is that they need the most because you do have a finite amount of time and energy that you can spend on things. And yes, there are these major pillars that you can get someone stronger, moving better and being in better shape and having a better work capacity. And you're going to impact a ton of things in their realm and in their wheelhouse of what they do. But you still need to know, you know, how it, well, it kind of goes both. It goes a couple of different ways. You want to make sure you're keeping them out of harm's way. You don't just get someone stronger and expect that they're going to stay, you know, less injury prone. I won't say, I won't ever say, you know, you know, injury, injury reduction or injury elimination, or, you know, it's more of an injury management style, but you, you, you can't just assume that just by getting someone stronger, you're, you're making them, you know, more equipped to being less prone to injury. Right. I'll give you an example. A lot of coaches are trying to build velo in pitchers mm-hmm. and they're trying to create more gas and get guys throwing harder. That's the sexy thing over the, probably the past five, five years, maybe, maybe more. And, uh, and a lot of programs are doing that. And, you know, I think we have a lot of issues with mobility and stability and different pieces falling out of whack and out of balance there. Um, out of this drive and this hunger to have someone throw harder. And what is that? What that's there's an expense somewhere there. There's something that you're driving and putting pushing the throttle up on one area of development in one part of their physical profile, and it's causing an imbalance in another area. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I find things like that quite often. You're getting a guy to develop all gas but no brakes, he's got a lot of propulsive ability, but not a lot of braking ability or bracing, bracing forces. You get a guy who's who's that 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 really strong buff guy but he can't move anymore you know all these are just examples of attacking something with a good intention but not balancing that very well with having a nice holistic approach of also making sure that they're they're safe and healthy to the best of your ability and part of our job is knowing that when you attack one thing and address one thing what's the what's the ripple effect of everything around it and that's where assessments help they help you see a picture of things or they help you learn if I get this guy to get into his lower half more, is his core ready to handle that development of power, that new power he's channeling from his lower half, going back to your example? And at that point, when his core can channel it, is his upper body able to, to time and sequence things out in time to where the mechanics are still efficient and effective? Uh, or does the arm get out in front and, and is the elbow taking a lot of additional stress when it doesn't need to? Or is the elbow angle changing because of all that new rapid force that's sequencing up the system? There's a domino effect, and I, I'm speaking as if I know about it, but I, I probably I, I know very a very small fraction of the world of physical profiling and physical development 
and the ripple effects of changing somebody's body. I, I, there's a lot more I don't know and don't fully grasp out of it. But the key for me, and getting back to your question, I'm sorry if I'm getting too much in the weeds here. That's great, man. The, the key for me is that you stay open-minded to that, that there is a, there, there's this world of, of a ripple effect as you start to try to train somebody. You can't just slap stuff together and copy and paste it from another program. You can't just do stuff because that's what you did. You, you need to have an informed approach to that. You need to be learning about what it is about the body that's changing and how it impacts performance and how it impacts their longevity and their resilience. Um, and you need to just constantly be a student of, of those pieces. At least that's what, that's what we hold valuable and that's our approach. We do feel very strong in, in our approach to things. And at this level of where we're at as an organization, as a staff, as a department, we feel very confident in our approach that it's a good, holistic, correct approach in how we train because of the repetitions we've done that with. But a lot of coaches may not have that level of advanced uh, resources. They may not have the thousands of athletes they've done it with. You talk to old school strength coaches, they have their systems. They have these things that they believe that they're deeply ingrained because they did reps and reps and reps. It's not the sexy system of today, but they have that system that they're very, very um, – convicted by right they they they've seen the reps they've felt the difference but if you talk to them about the early years of those pieces they were learning from somebody else who had had the reps and that conviction was passed along or they were learning and exploring themselves and not doing it in a way where they would put their athletes in harm's way doing it in a way where they think they're doing the best they can but any one of us as we're learning we look back on us a year ago and we know we've learned and we've grown a lot past that person you're responsible for a whole new set of knowledge and a whole new set of information where you're at now. I'm going to pause because I feel like I'm getting way in the weeds there. But, I, you know, going back into, into your question of the assessments, it's important to approach it systematically. It's important to just be curious about it and to know what it is you're impacting as you train somebody. That was a little deep. I apologize. No, it's good, man. It's it's just really good. Um, and so yeah, just trying to get to the simple simplest form of it. So, like, what would you say? Like, you know, because I know you've you've worn the hat, you've worn the low budget. Let's just put mm -hmm. it that way. Do you still run it? Do you still run an approach based? Because is is that approach then going to help you? give individual programming mm -hmm. right like yeah. so you, is that where you would start right now so a guy because like i just think it's good timing for us to talk to you because a lot of the guys right now in their in their programs are, are getting into weightlifting yeah. you know and they're running their programs and they might be thinking what my what I, what can i do better um and so what would you suggest is a good assessment program that everybody could do if let's say they don't have a strength coach or should is that something they just go out and pay for? Yeah. Good question. Um, I think if there's definitely value in finding a, a specialist who, who has seen the reps or that has a system there that you can trust that you can buy into and, and pay as a, as a, as a resource there. Um, if, if you're, if, if I'm talking to pitching coaches and hitting coaches and, you know, just baseball coaches in general, Partnering with somebody who knows their stuff from a movement standpoint and a training standpoint is extremely helpful. And, you know, buy into buy into their system and, and learn, learn about that. If you're a strength and conditioning professional uh, and you're on a low budget 
or if you're a baseball coach on a low budget and you can't, you, you don't have that option of, of paying for a resource. Um, you know, there's, there are resources online. There are great coaches that you can reach out to, to find out more about their programs and how they do things. But I would say, just take it like a, a key phrase we use is minimal effective dose. Minimal effective dose would be my, my biggest piece of advice to your, to your question to, to coaches. Don't bite off more than you feel like you can handle and that you, you can chew and that you can do with. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you're thinking, oh, I got to go out and do all these assessments now. I got to go out and do all these pieces with my athletes now. Like you, what, you, what you need to do is make sure that you're centered on helping those athletes get better. Find out what they need to get better, whatever that is, and start exploring and learning until you feel like you have a good grasp of understanding what it is they need to get better. And then implement training to help them get better. It's really as simple as that. And as you embark on that journey, you'll pick up different pieces, whether that's a shoulder range of motion test that you want to do to see how their upper body profiles, if it's a push-up test, a pull-up test, squat, running, whatever that is, whatever. There's lots of taboo things in baseball that, that I, I won't even go on that channel. Hmm. Um, but like minimal effective dose, what are, you, what are you comfortable doing and how can you just help that person get better to reach the next step? Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, minimal effective dose. Cool. I never thought about that. Yeah, like basically, don't bite up more than you can chew. But yes, essentially, when you're talking about programming and being able to really manage a program and manage what you're doing, you got to be able to have to give that effective dose. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Because, like, I, I mean, I guess because for me, like, guys would say, you know, yeah, randomly, like, they just need to get stronger, you know, yeah. like, they just need to get stronger. So I guess that's when it comes down to, like, okay, guys are guys are uh, playing baseball here, Coach Coach Russell, and, you know, what kind of things should we say we do more of? Like, how would you say, like, maybe your, your programming has changed mm -hmm. with what we say the baseball player does now that we used to do? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we we our approach here is just a really holistic pattern based movement. Um, if you're if any any listeners familiar with uh, Dan John, your your hinge squat push pull and fifth movement category. You, know, you have your 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 fifth movement category has a, a lot to do with just that um, your your crawls, your carries, um, your get ups. Um, some of your core pieces, some of your capacity work. Um, we've expanded that to include a, a lot of different fronts. Um, but, you know, for the lower half, it's, a, you know, your squat and your hinge patterns. And you got two legs, single leg, you know, your bilateral, unilateral work. You got your different planes of motion you can get fancy with. And on the upper body, you got your push and your pull. And you have all different ways you can get fancy with that as well. But that's, a, that's really as simple as it is, is of what our program is when you're training a baseball player and uh, we're trying to keep it as well-rounded as we can. If a guy has a lot of, uh, a lot of output, but not a lot of ability to control it and harness it, that tells us something. Mm. He doesn't have a lot of output uh, or he's, he doesn't have a lot of mass, you know, he's got output, but no mass behind it. Uh, or if he's really loose and lax and mobile, hyper mobile, and not a lot of stability, but very fluid and whippy. 
right? There's good and bad of every one of those scenarios I just mentioned and dozens more. Um, and you, you try to tailor a little bit more of what you need. And I guess, you know, in a way that ties right back to your assessment piece too. You're just profiling what they look like in, mm -hmm. in a matter of seconds, you know? And how do you know, how do you know, like, let's say a guy's whippy, let's say a guy's like really, like you said, hypermobile mm -hmm. and you're, I mean, would you necessarily tighten the guy up? Like, what if that, what if being hypermobile is kind of what got him to where he is and the kind of, to be as talented mm -hmm. he is? Like, how do you know as a, you know, to, to, to program a guy like that where let's say you tighten a guy up or let's say vice versa, you had a tight mover and you want to loosen him up because all he doesn't have this mobility in his hips. Well, what if you do that and he doesn't, doesn't have as much output? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, what if you mess up what got him there? You know, and we deal with that all the time with a lot mm -hmm. of our a lot of our players. And honestly, you, you never fully I don't think you ever fully feel 100 percent that you're you, you always have that in the back of your mind. Like, well, I really do hope I don't screw something up here. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm like, I feel 100 percent in that this is what needs to happen. But, you know, there's that one little chance if something were to happen, you know, you could have the best program for a guy on some days and it's going really well and he's changing and it's impacting really well. He has a bad game. He's you just lost him. No more buy-in there. Yeah. You know, it's 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 funny how that happens. But you know, there is there are times where you're not sure if you should change that or impact that. And you know, it goes back it goes back to experience and profiling your athlete and, and getting familiar with assessment-based approach. For us, we try to look at normative data and research that's out there. There's a lot of great research out there on baseball and what normative data there is of what you should expect guys to be at and research into how much is too much in, in certain realms, um, whether that's from a strength standpoint or from a movement standpoint or biomechanics, you know, what, what's putting a guy at a higher risk. None of that is, none of that is gospel. None of that is a hundred percent all the time, but there's just normative information and you get your zones, you try to get calibrated a little bit of, okay, I'm, I want to go more this direction, definitely not that direction. Mm -hmm. And you start to get into that level of comfort with it, where you know a guy being whippy is good, but with, when those joints have multi-directional instability and you have the, the, the lack of control uh, and ability to harness that whippy movement, there has to be a fine, like a happy medium there. Yeah, okay, cool. Cool. And you have, and you have maybe the opposite. You have a, a, a player who's 200 pounds heavier than the other players of that position, like just a, a massive human being, and yet they're very effective, or they're very talented, or they're very good at what they do. If you reduce some of that body mass, is that going to make them worse? Mm -hmm. Is that going to make them less effective, less powerful? Um, you have some of the same pieces there that you're that you're discussing. Yeah. And I don't even think of, you know, think of it as terms of, you know, you not being in that, but yeah, I just, uh, just, yeah, it definitely probably a big challenge of your job for sure. When you see a guy so loose and then trying to tighten them up and mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess, I, I guess it would, you know, you probably have like a range of things that you're looking for within the uh, assessment patterns and really kind of, based on the certain kind of guy. Yeah. But I mean, you watch, yeah. watch pro baseball. There's yeah. all different body types, yeah, right, right. all different profiles. And those are the best in the world at what they do. They made it to the major league. 
Right. Yeah, you know, the goal isn't always just to make it there, though. The goal is to have a nice, sustained career and be be really good while you're up there. You know, mm-hmm. and some of those guys, they may bounce back and forth, and they're just waiting for that last little piece to fall into play in their development to really take off. Other guys, they've got it, and they're riding that that wave while they're up there, and and everything in between. I mean, I I'd be I'd be lying if you if you you know every every makeup every type we have in our system right now, there's a profile for that in the major league somewhere, or in historically in the major league somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that 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 was somebody that made it work with the skill set they had, combined with their physical profile, combined with their their mental ability mm-hmm. and their 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 strategy in, in the game, the time that they played. You know, there's all that different stuff. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, just I guess speaking into that mentality part. I mean, how much of that is woven into your program? You know, because, I mean, you get in there and guys are having to lift during the long season that they do. And I'm just thinking of just, you know, how you kind of, you know, weave that that kind of part into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, when when these guys are training, when these guys are, are going about their business, they're very interested in how it's going to impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have your guys that are just going to blindly follow whatever. But a lot of these guys they're in a zone or at least in the first couple of years of their career, they start to realize how important it is to own their development themselves and to ask questions and to try to understand things. And that's another really cool thing in, in pro sports that you don't often get at the college level. Yeah. Cause I guess you're, it's almost like you have to defend the program or, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, but you're not trying to, you're not necessarily, getting upset because they're asking why they're just really trying to say, how's this going to benefit me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you want that. Honestly, if you you really think about it, you, you want that because that means it matters to them. And it means that they're not just going to fall for anything under the sun out there and just constantly change, 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 and and seek the the next best thing. So it's a, it's a good thing. I mean, that that, it keeps you on your toes as a coach too. You got to know your stuff to, to be able to really defend it. And uh, and to really you know speak at, at a high level of guys who are trusting your trusting you with their career you know it's not mm-hmm. a small small thing. No, not at all, not at all, not at all. So like, let's can we talk a little bit of like in season, like in season lifting, in season, uh, you know, what are your takes on there, like, um, you know, looking at how that's kind of changed and. Uh, just like how how can people you know even like do you feel like in season lifting can be done as you know uh i guess with high school kids and how we do that how do we program that and up to, up to i guess the highest levels like you are programming guys yeah definitely um i i, th- I feel like in season should be done up and down every every system every level you just got to make sure that they're ready for it. You can't start something in season and expect it to go really, really well. They're going to be sore. They're going to they're going to be fatigued, right? So it, it really does blend from off season to in season. But you get guys that don't want to lift in season, and in high school you may be able to get away with it if your season's only a few months long. Um, but in in pro sports, you see it all the time with rookies that make it up to the major league level and are playing their first full major league season. Um, where it's a different world, it's a different animal, it's a different grind. 
we have a lot of young players on the Toronto Blue Jays over the past several years that have made their major league debut. Many of them this year because of COVID last year in the shortened season, uh, this was their first full season. Um, and, you know, they, they fortunately for us, they understood that they bought into that, into their training program and they were equipped and ready for that. A lot of guys, it, 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 it punches them in the face pretty hard. And so, yeah, that in-season training, it does matter. And, and I will say this, it should look different than off-season training. You shouldn't be getting after it for hours on end. Um, you know, some guys talk about being on a maintenance program. Some guys talk about just doing a, uh, you know, just doing the effective pieces that you need or just the necessary ones. Um, I like that approach. I like going that minimal effective dose type approach in season. Uh, but you should be doing something to where over time the body's not steadily tanking down at an extreme level. You're going to get a progressive fatigue and a progressive downward. But when you get the guys that start to nosedive physically and they can't keep up with the stresses, and a lot of times that's when guys get hurt, mm-hmm. is, is when the stress of the game is spiking from what their body's ability is to handle it. Their mechanics change or they're just so they're in a state of fatigue so much. Um, it's, it's really important to keep up with. Um, so I would just, I would advise, you know, a lot of coaches out there, uh, do really two parts. One, have, have a, have a, a training program where guys are at least maintaining stuff in season and then pay equal attention also to some of the main recovery pieces. How's their nutrition? How's their sleep? Because you know, you get guys that are on, you know, six hours of sleep that drastically increases their chance of getting hurt. That drastically reduces their physical ability. They're dehydrated, same thing. They're malnourished, same thing. Sometimes they're doing the right things, training, but they're 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 not taking care of their bodies on on other other fronts too. I wouldn't say either one of those is really more important than the other. They're both extremely important in the same same topic. Mm. Can you say, can you speak on like, um, like looking at like training during the season? Like, is it a matter of like, is it the, is it the high reps, you know, three sets, high reps, or is it still just three sets, like low reps? Like what are the differences there? How do you program that with, 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 like you said, your progressive fatigue? Yeah. We like to do total body approaches with our guys in season, Uh, position player, we may try to get a guy in two times a week early in the season and be okay if he only comes in once a week the back half of the season. Um, For our pitchers, guys starting pitchers on a five- or six-day routine, it's very easy to get a a lower and upper, split things if you want, get a couple of total bodies in, get more of a priming, explosive-type day the day before they hit the the game the the next time through, have recovery pieces mixed in. They've got many days to play with there. Relief pitchers are a little bit different animal because you may not know, you may not be able to program how frequent they're going to be utilized and used. At our higher levels, um, we're definitely needing to get them ready to go back-to-back days. Um, you know, four out of five days at an extreme situation or three out of five days, you know, you got to be prepared for those pieces. You got to be prepare for your single inning relievers to go two innings sometimes and get stretched out. But at our lower levels, we have the ability to kind of really plan for some of those pieces more. Um, so, you know, relief pitchers, you take what you can get. If, if, if you know there's an off day coming up, we use that to our advantage. If we know a guy hit an inning count or a pitch count that he's burned for the next two days, he may come in and lift post game 
mm-hmm. and really like, even though he's a little fatigued from the game, train a little bit, lift, and that way he's maximizing just recovery the next day. Um, we have a lot of guys that lift in the, at night, and at our at our at our high high levels, we have guys that what we call microdose where they may only do a 15 minute workout and you may not call it a workout, but for this guy, he's, he's coming in, he's got two, three exercises. He knocks it out 10, 15 minutes and he's out. And it may be an extended prep for him in the off season, but in season, that's enough to be a training dose for him when he does it frequently enough throughout the week. So there's so many cool ways you can cut that and play with it based off of your, your, you know, your, your playing schedule. Yeah, that's cool. So, like, yeah, two to three exercises, 15 minutes, and you're saying maybe do that three times a week, he might. Yeah, just three, four, or five. I mean, there's there's so many ways to do it. It's almost like an extended prep. You get yeah. a guy in, you do three sets of goblet squat paired with a core, paired with a mobility, and there's your 10-minute routine, and mm-hmm. go hit the field. Because I, I think even just stuff like that, guys, at the lowest levels, you know, let's say in high school, after, I mean, you can basically call it, like, after practice. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you let's fifteen minutes stop practice fifteen minutes early, and we're gonna do yeah. this and this and this for fifteen yeah. minutes, and just kind of get a little train, get some get some circuit training in. Yeah, you can Im- include that into part of your prep outside your dynamic warm up. You can include that into post practice conditioning stuff, where they're doing some different strength pieces with bands outside on the field as they're running poles or something. You know, you got a lot of different ways to cut it. I will say this: that we don't microdose a lot of times with our really young players. Mm-hmm. Their body's young and they're resilient to be able to bounce back. And a lot of times it's not enough of a, of a dose for them. Okay. Um, they need something a little bit more concentrated of a dose to truly keep them from really dipping and nosediving developmentally. Um, but, you know, each case is a little bit different. But I think it's important just to make sure that if you're messing around with stuff like that, have a good plan that you've adjusted in the off season first before you go trying stuff out in season. How so? What does it? What does that mean? Can you give us examples? So like fall ball, you got fall ball, and yeah. you know, maybe maybe you have a little bit more control over some of the games there. Or in a true off season mode, and a guy's throwing program is ramping up, maybe even in preseason mode. Um, you know, try to see how he feels doing a total body lift after a heavy day of throwing. If okay. you're a pitcher, if you're a position player and you're, you're trying to get used to playing every day and you got your cleats on, you're, you're getting time on time on cleats for two, three hours a day. You know, what does that look like to still continue with your training and then just maybe taper it back a little bit as you get in season and see how that feels. Um, don't just say I'm going from off season, flip the switch. I'm in season. Everything changes like have a nice gradual progression into it. Love it. Gradual progression all season in season. Cool. Um really cool. So microdosing, the gradual progression. Um oh man, that was good. That was really good. Um oh man, that was really good. I'm just I'm still just trying to process just kind of where everything where I'm at. Oh man, that was good. Um and the microdosing, that's, 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 I've never heard it like that. No, I think, I think that's, cause I think that's honestly pretty realistic for some, for some guys to do. Yeah. Um, you know, but like you said, the young players are pretty resilient to doing it as well. I think it's, so it, 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 there's a, there's a down, there's a balance there in what you're doing. Um, 
Bum, bum, bum. Man. It's, it's really big in, in, in basketball, too, believe it or not, that microdosing concept. Really? Yeah, because you get those guys that they're getting worn out and beat up and their joints are always getting pounded on. You get them in, you do something very basic in, in our eyes or in, in normal terms. Yeah. Doing 15 minutes of work, but when you do it enough with with good frequency throughout the week, it has an accumulation of of development. Like a, there's a, there's an accumulation of an effect there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you get it enough. And, it, and honestly, it's like it's almost get you should get into like a routine of it you know like mm-hmm. it's almost kind of just got getting into a guy's routine like you kind of you kind of mentioned that about a guy's throwing routine because it's easier to do that with the pitching staff you know the starting pitcher he can throw this day he's going to do this the next day and you know you can always kind of easily train that i like got program that i guess you could say yeah yeah oh man that was good that was super cool um I guess another thing that I guess for me, um, just just wondering, um, is the like just med ball work. I think you see a lot more. You see a lot of med ball work. Like, um, is that something um, should be uh, like? Because you were talking like your movement pattern. Is that is that part of like the everyday kind of movement pattern? Like having a med ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of med ball work we program into our, our stuff. You know, we got plyos, we got med ball work, we have different explosive pieces we do. Um, I think med ball work is, is extremely important for baseball players. So because the rotational for the rotational movements? Yeah, you get multi, multi planes, uh, multiple planes, multiple dimensions of training there. Um, you get the ability to work on like bracing and sequencing and, and channeling the body. A, a lot of baseball is about maybe one leg driving, the other leg bracing force as you're channeling that force up the system. Um, that rotational piece, being able to control that. Um, you know, you, you get a lot of oblique, oblique related issues. A lot of times doing that med ball training can help uh, with some of that and getting the body used to going at extreme rotational training. Um, Obviously, there's there's you know there's good and bad pros and cons of anything, but you know we we like that multi-dimensional approach to some of the med ball training for that power development. And how let's say like so you have and at what ages you know because we do have some young guys and young coaches. So just thinking about even just like for yourself, you're just being a dad, you know, let's say, you know, we've got a college coach who's he's a dad. When is he going to like how, how, how young are you putting guys in programs? So what would you say in your professional opinion? Mm. Um, you know, of course you said like everybody should be lifting, but like how yeah. young does it go? And then when you get to certain ages, you know, what will, what, what will it look like at certain ages? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If, um, I don't know how, how young I would go with a lot of crazy fancy stuff. Um, I'm a big believer that um, there needs to be a lot of like multi-sport skill development, like not going really just into one sport. One of the best things for younger baseball players is to play a lot of different sports and do a lot of different skill-related things because that develops a lot of their motor control patterns and it helps their athleticism so much. I mean, how often do you see some of these 
some of these guys, uh, you know, they, they were all center fielders. They were all shortstops at one time. They were all guys that were just the athlete on the field. Some, a lot of, even, even a lot of pitchers, uh, had, had developed that way by, by having come from the position player world predominantly too. um, playing multiple different sports helps develop. So I think there's approaches like that when, when, when kids are young, those types of things I feel like help them tremendously. You're learning a lot of different skill sets at that point and coordination and motor control patterns. From a training standpoint though, if you do want to help somebody develop as a, as a baseball player, aside from playing multiple different sports and just being more athletic, um, I, I feel like what you have to be cautious of is when you implement training, um, you, you have to make sure that it's it's in balance. You can't do you get a young kid doing a bunch of strength training and there's not a, 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 a an importance to, to, to move with really good quality. You're going to start to create this guy that's more muscle bound or tight, a tight mover. They can't get into athletic positions. There's like that fine line there. Um, you want to you want to get a guy stronger so he can produce more force. You know, mm-hmm. He can he can be more powerful, explosive, and even faster and quicker. Right, strength yeah. can help with that. But like the med ball pieces, um, going to to your question there, um, you know, I feel like those really really light weighted implements, extremely light. Um, when you when you're getting kids into middle school and and obviously definitely into high school. Um, having really lightly weighted implements like that and getting their body used to multiple dimensions of movement is, is very similar to an approach of them playing another sport. You're just controlling that in like a training environment by doing med ball drills. The body doesn't know the difference between the two. As you start to get really heavy or you start to get really advanced with something, then, then you know, you're getting a little bit further away from that. But doing med ball drills and exposing them to a variety of different med ball pieces I think that's an appropriate age to be doing all that stuff. You get earlier than that into like elementary school age, you get somebody that's anywhere from, I don't know, six to 11, 12 years old. Um, I think that's a little bit out of my expertise range. I I actually would would be really curious what, what other people would say with that. But I still feel like once you get that middle school, high school age, that's fair game to be uh, definitely approaching a lot of these pieces. Mm Mm-hmm. But like you said, kind of start off really light. Just start off with light, starting with like PVC, like if you're getting mm-hmm. a piece of PVC or like the light my ball stuff. And and yeah. then, uh, you know, you said like strength with movement is basically yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Movement, movement um, is, is king. You got to gotta be a good mover. Yeah, for sure. And you don't want to build – this is another key, key kind of philosophy that I have too. You, you don't want to really push – for a lot of external strength and strength through external resistance without the ability to brace internally also. And what I mean by that is a lot of times you, you get these guys that squat the house or deadlift the house and yet they don't know how to brace their core. They, they can't pass uh, like a body weight plank test. They can't pass uh, really a, a simple deep anterior core activation test. They can't, activate their small glute muscles of the hips it becomes a handicap for them and uh i probably we probably don't have the ability to really dig into some of those intricate intricacies here but i think it's important for people to be aware that you don't want to it's not just about loading heavy weight as a way to get stronger the body's ability to hold tension in different positions 
doing doing a body weight squat with a 20 second pause at the bottom will light your legs up and your body's learning how to build tension and you're holding internal tension in that moment versus throwing a barbell on your back and squatting right mm -hmm. you're both both of those situations are getting somebody stronger but really building that ability to brace and that ability to to hold and cr like create and hold tension is is by far one of the better approaches to go to first and making sure the body is really elite at doing that first before you worry about all this the how much PRs getting PRs yeah and exactly and exactly like and I'm not saying those things are bad we squat our guys we deadlift our guys we're pushing for 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 guys to be very strong um, but we don't do it without making sure that they're already really good and elite at some of these stability pieces and really being able to brace and even at younger ages i think those pieces are more important elite um, instability and strength is what we're looking for mm -hmm. yep and you know that's you know people talk about you not know, being too tight and being mobile and loose uh with you're not not lifting too much and staying on that side of the spectrum but there's another world where you could you could be lifting and, and not really truly be able to to be stable you could be strong and not stable. That's a that's a bad combination. You you, yeah, you just said you, you can be strong but not stable, right? So you said mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So will you test that? Will you test stability? Oh yeah. How do oh, you yeah, how can you test stability? Like just holding a squat, like just or like you know like a plate squat. Like how do you? Yeah, we look at like smaller like a lot of the smaller muscle groups and the ability to activate some smaller muscles around the hips, uh, deeper muscles in the core. Um, single leg stability balancing mm. on one leg and being able to get into different motions and movement patterns a single leg rdl is is a very advanced movement to do correctly because of the the stability it requires the disassociation across your body to control different pieces and have some pieces move and other pieces not mm. um, is a really really important movement pattern just to see how guys do you know and a lot of body weight um, strength testing where you're maximizing the ability to hold loads and strain internally without really externally, um, you know, adding a lot of different resistance. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's great, man. Yes, it does. Because I'm just thinking about, like, you know, even those could be, like, the assessments that you're really kind of talking about, too, like, where, you know, like, if you're going to test the guy where he's at strength-wise and we should be testing the guy where he is stability wise. You know, and I'm just mm -hmm. wondering about just different examples of that, you know, that we can help guys with. Yeah. And, and, and some people, yeah, some people may call that the same thing, you know, a, a core strength test or a core stability test. And again, don't get lost on the words. I guess mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's just about making sure that the body has this ability to control itself and brace forces and have good control with different patterns first before you worry really a ton about loading a lot of things externally and you would say the single leg rdl is probably the best thing i i mean i'd say that's a that's definitely a very definitely important thing it. yeah definitely a very important piece mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's your basics your your yeah you, like you were saying your squat holds your, your ability to do a like a single leg squat your ability to um to do you know, a plank and brace that way and really brace the core, a side plank, a hip bridge, um, all these body weight movements. I, I wouldn't necessarily get into like, you know, pull-ups, push-ups, 
stuff like that, but you can you can include that in that in that as well. Uh, definitely, um, you start to get into bigger muscle groups and a lot of compensation issues there, just because those are really tough movements for a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's still I still feel like that's more valuable than trying to, to get a guy under a bar and, and look at how much how much he squats first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to start with that foundation. Yeah. We're gonna make sure that they have both of them. Mm-hmm. the lead strength you know but it's important to say those two because you know that's the thing that people put out on twitter and that's the thing that they're putting out you know on their workout videos and the recruiting you know but it's making sure that you just have a like i said a holistic approach mm-hmm. you know it might be one thing you show them but you'd make sure that this is all part of your program too it's important it's important to know man that's awesome yeah. that's great stuff yeah thanks yeah man um Dude, really good. Um, so I, I, I don't honestly, I, I kind of forget what you kind of mentioned about like re, just like rep wise, what it looks like in season, just like if you're thinking yeah. about rep. So as guys are putting now, so like you said, off season right now, what it's like because guys are programming off season to go, like you said, in that gradual progression into in season. So what would it look like now, reps and volume wise now, and then that gradual progression leading into in season? Yeah, so you want me to touch on in-season or off-season first? Well, I guess it's where we would start, you know, like you said, and then, you know, what the vault like, – because basically looking at both sides, okay, off-season yeah. right now, leading up to the season, here's what your reps and your volume will look like. And then when it comes to in-season, yes, I know, like, it's twice a week getting in there, but then what do the reps look like? What are, what are the, the numbers look like? Yeah, when you're getting into that in-season mode, it's um, – we may be doing on our deadlifts, it may be three sets of five, three sets of six. Okay. Um, our, our squat patterns, you know, maybe something similar, um, anywhere in that like four to eight rep range and usually three sets is, is kind of how we'll do stuff. We'll do a little bit higher reps on the upper body and not get, not load, a, a, a quite too much on the shoulders. Um, so maybe we're going more like six to 10 reps on the upper body pieces and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly three sets, and on a day where we need to deload somebody or skirt back or they're fatigued, we may cut it to two sets. And uh, like a typical total body workout, we'd have maybe a, a, a lower body primary, um, like a push-pull upper body combo, and then like a lower body accessory. And that may be our workout. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we've got core sprinkled in as like a superset within the whole piece, or maybe we have a core circuit at the end. Maybe we have a core primer at the beginning as part of the prep. Um, it's a very simple approach to it, but it's very effective. Sure. It, has a, it has our way of being very well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can just tell, feel a holistic approach, man. It's awesome. I love that. Um, very much holistic, very much balanced uh, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of things. You know, and then, so leading up to that, leading up to that, so let's say right now in the offseason, the guys are programming now, lifting now. What does that look like now? Yeah, so now leading up to that, early off season, we're, we're attacking guys with volume. Um, they don't get to do that a lot in season, and so we're trying to restore that in the first off season phase, lay a really good foundation of volume. So, you know, we may work up to four, even five sets of anywhere from eight to, eight to 12, eight to 15 reps. That's a ton, a ton of work, you know, five sets of 10, four sets of 10, four sets of five each leg on a single leg with some pauses and some slow motion tempo work mixed in. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, 
it's a work capacity feel to it. If you ever do it, your your heart's racing, you're sweating, you're exhausted, you're fatigued, but you're 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 accomplished. You're building you're building that foundation for that purpose to be able to stack the next thing on top of. So we do a lot of volume work early in our off season with pretty much everybody up and down our system. Um, we may approach it a little bit differently with some guys. And then we usually go from that foundation. We have really multiple phases of three, four weeks at a time. And for us in, in an off season, we'll go most of the time four week phases. Um, and, uh, and we may deload between phases if needed. We may stack phases where there's no deload and you're just constantly like just pushing guys through it. But, you know, we, we have a, like our foundational volume build early on in the off season. And then the rest of the time we have, we split that up into how many concentrated doses of, of stress can we give them for development. That first development phase for guys may be just strength, maybe continuing strength through volume. It may be continuing, it may be in introducing strength through intensity and starting to get a little bit heavier with the loads. Maybe you're getting more like four sets of six instead of four sets of 12 and you're adding the load a, a little bit heavier. Maybe it's, it's, uh, maybe it's an open set, like an auto regulatory type of approach where you do, you know, three sets of five and your last set of five is open ended and you do it like burnout style where you mm. really get to a, to a level of fatigue. There's so many methods out there. I wouldn't get hung up on, on, on that necessarily, but the purpose of the phase would be to build strength through adding more intensity. Um, some guys have the strength. We just wanted to reset their volume and their ability to get really good work capacity and their dose of development may need to be more on speed. It may need to be more on power. It may need to be more on movement quality. It may need to be more on mobility pieces where we don't really have a program where all we do is stretch somebody. We still train them. We still lift them because we want the body used to, to ha like being resilient to that stress. But maybe the movement patterns we pick put them in a different, a different like range of motion scheme, a different like gauntlet of, of movement patterns that we put them through. Um, so many different cool ways we cut it. And honestly, we just rotate the different doses depending on how much time we have in the off season. Mm -hmm. If a guy needs to get stronger, he may have dose after dose of strength through intensity, and we're just changing up the exercises to add the variety. Mm -hmm. um, that could very well be the program for a lot of our younger guys. And as we get closer to in season, we dial that back a little bit. We work a little bit more on maybe some speed stuff just to transfer some of those newly gained strength qualities. And, uh, and we kind of ease into throttling down the intensity as their baseball work starts to ramp up. Oh, this is great. Coach, I can't thank you enough, man. This is awesome. So we're already hour and 15 minutes into this thing, man. We we're rolling. We're getting warmed up, aren't we? We hit it. We hit it <laughs> rolling, man. Dadgum. Oh, man. Um. All right. Just kind of wrapping things up here. Um, Is there – well, I guess just kind of putting the ball in your court, man. Like, is there anything that maybe is on your heart, anything on your mind, anything maybe we haven't touched debate on that you just – man, you really want to – talk about you feel like it's just important you need to get it out there message sent uh like you said the game has changed so much and even weightlifting i think training has changed a lot and i think the perspective on it has changed a lot so i'm just just kind of putting the ball in your court man if anything that you'd like to share anything that was on your heart or anything that you'd like to talk about i'm willing to learn no i've enjoyed these this conversation we've taken it a lot of different directions and 
I, I don't know. I, I get so excited talking about a lot of this. I again, I, I gotta apologize. I get so deep in the weeds of a topic sometimes, or <laughs> I, I'll bounce around there with you to all the different pieces because I do truly have a passion for it and, and love love every bit of it. So this has been a, a really fun conversation. Um, we hit on quite a few things that that I'm passionate about is is keeping keeping like some core beliefs and core pieces front and center as you're training people or, you know, the ins and outs of, of the profession that I'm in, in, in pro sports. Um, I mean, there's just so much fun stuff. I think, um, you know, a big, a big piece for me. And I, I hope I haven't come across like I have it all figured out. Like I know it all by any means. Cause I, I don't, I don't ever feel that way. Maybe that's a good parting piece for me here is less about getting a message out to everybody and more just about, I'm just a, I'm just another dude trying to get it all figured out, trying to learn and knowing that I'm in this journey uh, and hungry to learn from people, pick people's brain and apply it and, and make sense of it and, and have have my own system, my own approach to things that I'm constantly evolving and shifting. And, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just adjusting a few spokes here and there as we go through it. And uh you know, if, if, if there's nothing else that people pay attention to out of this whole piece, to me, it's just, it's exciting to talk about it. I love talking about it and processing it, but it's not in a way of, I've got it figured out. It's in a way of, here's where I'm at in my yes. current understandings. And I'm just excited to share it with people and hear back from people. Uh, and, and I may be completely wrong on some of the stuff and where I'm at with it. And, and that's okay. Like, I want to learn more and, and I want to I wanna approach things different. I'm convicted with everything we've talked about on this call because I've lived it and I've done it and I've used it. Um, but I'm not saying that it's, it's the end all be all. We're all learning this stuff. And that's the fun part of it. That's not a scary thing. That's something to embrace. That's the journey of life. That's the fun part of life is just not knowing what's coming up next and, and, and really just keep learning, keep growing, keep developing. That, uh, my, my, my old staff at Weber used to, we used to have this phrase that, that I would talk about a lot called relentless growth just relentlessly pursuing that every every day beautiful beautiful so speaking of that like people guys wanting to reach out and things like that uh touch base and kind of talk shop what might be the best way to do that with you hmm, good question um probably email um okay. i'll give my blue jays email on here um okay. steve s-t-e-v-e steve dot rassel r-a-s-s-e-l at bluejays.com. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy people reach out and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to point people in directions and give advice, talk more on certain pieces that maybe hit home for somebody. Um, I, I don't usually like to get in debates with people and argue about stuff, mm -hmm. but if, if that's what people like to do and you want to tell me how much I don't know and, and reach out <laughs> to, to, to talk trash, uh, I'm fine with that too, Rick. Reach out and, and, uh, because I already know I don't know a whole lot, so I'm, I'm fine with that too. But no, in all seriousness, um, I love talking shop. You know, I'm not I'm not always I'm not always readily available. Like even you and I trying to plan this, yeah, we're, at, we're at we're at night right now. Uh, I'm in a garage. You're you're in your 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 basement or wherever you're at, and we're making it work, right? That's it. That's important. So I think just people, if you reach out, be patient. Um, I'm trying to balance a lot and probably dropping more balls than I'm keeping juggling up in the air, but. Reach out, keep reaching out. Yeah, for sure. I think people appreciate that. Like you said I think earlier, you talked about just 
just even the the low budget, you know, guy, small school, just looking to make the best he can and trying to bounce ideas off of other people. And you'd be mm -hmm. a tremendous resource if you would happen to give anybody time and day. That's for that's for sure. Yeah. And I, I've got a staff that I can connect people with also. And yeah. other, other connections. That's a, that's another cool thing, too, is baseball community is a nice, nice community of sharing in general. It is. That it is. That it is. Well, Coach, I, I can't thank you enough, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on here. It's yeah. it's really good to connect. I'm honored to be to be on the show. And uh, yeah, this was fun. This was this this went by quick. I can't believe it's been an hour and a half almost here. So <laughs> a lot of good fun. Coach Steve Rassel just with some great information. Loved it. Loved it. Literally from the time that we started, we stopped. That was that was the conversation. Uh, there wasn't too much editing. It just was what it was, and just a great conversation, and really helped me learn and thinking how I can, you know, incorporate some things. And just the the micro dosing really stuck out to me. And you know, you're trying to get that three to five times, but you're 15 minutes in, you're 20 minutes in. This could be the end of practice. Practice shut out a little early, and what's most important? Let's get those guys strong. Let's keep them, like you said, instead of nose diving, let's try to keep that that gradual fatigue. We're gonna they're gonna be there fatigued, and this it needs to be progressive. We can't let them nose dive, and that's when they're gonna get hurt. Um, keeping that in there, <clears throat> um, having a purpose at each phase that you're doing. What's the purpose that we're of the, that we're getting into when we're when we're lifting in season? What's the purpose that we're doing lifting right before the season? What's the purpose that we're getting right after the season? What is uh, like starting with those purposes? Starting with your keeping your core beliefs at the front when you're making decisions about those things. Having those fundamental principles. I think that's a, that's a, that's a a life, even a life lesson in of itself. Keeping your core beliefs at the front of your decisions. Phenomenal stuff, Coach Coach Rassel. So again, uh, email steve.rassel, R-A-S-S-E-L, at bluejays.com. Really great stuff. If you haven't checked out the uh, Better Men, Better Ball Player store, check us out. It's on Twitter. Uh, I've got attached to the notes in the at Podbean. If you want to check out the notes, check out the notes. The, uh, the store's there. T-shirts, long sleeves. Uh, baseball shirts. I got a we got a bucket hat on there as well as a trucker hat, some shorts, and a nice coaching polo. So for all those coaches' needs and what you guys like to wear, uh, and there's also stuff in there for uh, females as well. It's because uh, it's good to have that. Um, just in in the the final reference here with Coach Rassel and the stuff. I just love this holistic approach, holistic approach to it. Having good movers. And then basically bucketing those movers, seeing how movers are, and then with the assessments, he's able to then diagnose and program specifically for them as he's trying to get to know them. Relationship-based, holistic approach about the person, and knowing who they are to then make good decisions about what they're doing. So great stuff, Coach Russell. Thank you guys for holding on. Thanks to Will Meyer and the guys at Netting Pros for making this possible and keeping our show rocking so till next week keep getting better